0: hello and welcome everyone to another InventRight tv live stream my name is andrew kraus i'm one of the co-founders here at InventRight. stephen key is our other co-founder and we've been coaching and mentoring inventors for the last 22 years um, i've been doing this live stream during the entire pandemic and i'm continuing to do it where we do a whole hour of q a so if you have any questions about licensing or inventing here is the time and the place to ask them Uh, We focus on licensing. So when you license, you don't need to raise money. You don't need employees and you don't need to try to get distribution. That's all in one place. So you don't license to a retailer, but you license to the company that sells to the retailer. Okay, And it's their money and it's their workforce, sales, marketing, manufacturing, advertising, and it's their distribution. So you get everything in one place. So I make it sound simple, but you still need to do the work to close that one licensing deal and then they're going to do all the work for you after that so that's what licensing is about that what is invent right is about the one thing that event right is not about is it's not about venturing which is just a fancy way of saying making it and selling it yourself that's not what um invent about wow my hairs are tripping out there okay <laughs> a long day today um so uh, let's jump in, uh, get some questions here. Uh, Brandon said, hey, Andrew, could you please elaborate on the coming webinar? How long will these sessions be and where can I view them and what is covered prior in the prior two sessions? So yeah, if you sign up for our free webinar series, go to inventright.com and I'll type it right here, inventright.com and if you click on free resources and then find the webinar series so go to inventright.com, the upper right hand corner free resources and then sign up for a webinar series and so the entire year we're doing the InventRight 10 steps we've already done step one and step two now we're doing step three which is evaluating your ideas so the webinar we're going to be doing this thursday it's going to be myself and our head coach terry omara and we're going to be doing step number three evaluating your ideas the format is going to be on zoom and it's going to be great and if you sign up for that you'll instantly get access to the prior two step number one and step number two okay so if you guys um haven't signed up for that i highly recommend that you check that out uh, brandon said how much individualized coaching should one expect when they join InventRight as a student i believe i benefit from increased accountability I, th- I think that's very true, um, Brandon. Um, it's not nearly as often that we see our students, our fans, if you will, uh, that have watched our YouTube show or read our books, licensed products, but our students are licensing products all the time because of the accountability, because inventors are inventive and inventors will make up in their own head how they think the process should work which is one of the reasons why we're doing this 10-step series, which you guys should sign up for. So to go to InventRight, click on free resources, and then go to the free webinar series and sign up, because people do make a lot of assumptions. And so even though with the YouTube show and our books, we give people a structure that they didn't have before. We remove a ton of roadblocks, the things that people thought, well, I can't afford a patent, so I can't do this. Like, well, spend $75 on a, on a provisional patent. Well, I can't afford a prototype, so I can't do this. Well, who said you needed a prototype? You're not selling a prototype or a patent. You're selling the benefit of your idea, so you have a good marketing piece. So a virtual prototype and a sell sheet would be great. Oh, and there's all these other things that people can come up with, reasons why it's not gonna work or they can't do it. So we remove a lot of roadblocks, but when you get really in the weeds of things, all the little details, the devil is in the details. Um, when you really get in the details of things and you're working very actively with the coach and they're saying oh for your product you're going to do this or do that and this sounds like why it's like because of this oh yeah because this makes sense for your product and then the accountability knowing that every week you're going to meet with your coach and like let's say i was your coach and today was monday and you know next monday you got to get that stuff done that the coach gave you to do and they're going to be very supportive and encouraging but you got some accountability there. And I think, I think one of the big things that a lot of inventors lack is accountability and you know, your friends and family, they, they can't help you with that because they don't know what you're supposed to do. Even the ones that some aren't encouraging, some are just middle ground. I don't understand the inventing thing. And then others, um, like they want to be helpful, but they don't know how to hold you accountable because, and they, and even if they hold you accountable, accountability without doing the right things in the right order is kind of useless so the coach keeps you on track anyway didn't mean to ramble so much about our coaching but it's it makes a giant difference brandon i mean i know i'm kind of biased because it's my company but i see it i've seen it over the last 22 years I'll, I'll tell you this so when steven and i first started InventRight, i was running an inventor association i asked steven to be a speaker and Stephen was like, uh, everybody's doing everything wrong. I'm like, yeah, you know, they, we have, I had great speakers, like patent attorneys, prototypers, successful mentors. People get all excited for a day or two. Then they wouldn't do anything the entire month. They come back in their exact same freaking place, you know. And so Stephen and I started talking about what we could do to help. And so we started doing these live seminars in Silicon Valley, where it was all weekend. It's all day Saturday and all day Sunday. It was pretty grueling. And we even let people come back for free. And people were praising us, oh, you guys are the greatest, you know, um, I really get the process now. But when I started checking in with people, because it wasn't a coaching program back then, people were not really doing the work and they were definitely not getting licensing deals. So I said to Steve and I said, I- I'm not down with that. I don't care how great people think they are. If They understand the process. It's not happening. They're not doing the work. And so I was our very first coach. And back then, Stephen was the negotiation coach. I later was the negotiation coach too. Um, and that's when people started licensing products. And here, flash forward 22 years later, and we've had students in over 65 countries and we get students licensing stuff almost every week, sometimes more than one a week. Um, so that accountability is really, really important, whether you get it from us or somebody else, but you gotta have somebody to be accountable to, and then you gotta do the right things. And then you got to get into the weeds, the very specifics, because you just mess up a few things and the whole process gets messed up. So um, let's see. John says, when you send a sell sheet to a company and they respond back saying, maybe in the future, what does that mean? Yeah, that doesn't, isn't that a little, it irritates people sometimes. Um, I think what it means is they're too busy right now. They like the product, but maybe in the future, you should be encouraged by that. And so what that means is if you don't license this to somebody else, I would say six, eight, 10 months later, I would send it back to that same person because this is what's going on. You could have a great product, but they got an email inbox that's full. They got three bosses. They got five projects. They can't take it on. And so they might. They kind of liked it. Um, now they could also, so you should definitely resend that six or eight months later to that same company. And you can do that if you have 30 companies. It's very common, guys. And if you haven't really reached out to companies before, it's very common to get non-specific no's. Not at this time, not a right match for us. You're not gonna get all this detailed response, especially if you don't ask for it. But sometimes you should ask for it, because you might get it, it might be helpful. You can make some adjustments. Um, And now a company that says, It won't work because of this, this, and this for us. You're not going to reach back out to them after they said that eight months later. But a company has said, not at this time, not a right match. Okay, And you looked at the product line, you're like, I think it is a good match. They might have said not a right match or no thank you or whatever it is. But to reach back out to them eight months later, they won't even barely remember the product. And you might just get lucky and hit them at a time where, and most inventors don't do this. Our, we didn't even guide our students to do this. I didn't start guiding our students to do this until about nine years ago. Um, the next time when they were really busy and they said no, because they were too damn busy. So it's not that they didn't like the product, they were too busy, but they didn't say that because if they just say that, then you're not gonna leave them alone and they don't have the time to take on this new product. Okay. So, But if you reach out to them, the company that said no eight months later, the next time you get lucky with one or two of them and their boss said, we need new products like two weeks before. And now they're looking at it and going, hmm, can we talk? Right. And very next to no inventors except for invent right students are that persistent, you know, but don't do that with the company that gave you reasons why not. Or you looked at their product line, you're like, yeah, that was a bit of a stretch. I shouldn't have sent to them to begin with when they said not a right match. So analyze it, but don't hesitate to reach back out. And sometimes people, like they work on their first project and they get 30 no's and they go, well, this licensing thing doesn't work. BS, it doesn't work. It totally works. Like it's a numbers game. You played the numbers game if you reached out to 30 companies, but you didn't play the numbers game if you don't work on another project. And then you put this project that you didn't license on the shelf, not the garbage can, the shelf. You don't get obsessed and all pissed off that you got 30 no's. You're like, damn, I got in some companies and I got I got no's from all these companies. I know what I'm doing now. Now let's do another product. And I'll pull that one off the shelf and resend it to everybody because that's freaking easy to do. That's how a pro operates. Almost no inventors operate that way except for the pros. Um, so, uh, John, if they said maybe in the future, just... Just say, just say, yeah, great, great, thank you. I'll reach back out at a later date, you know? Now, you know, they're kind of busy probably. So you could try to probe, like, do you have any feedback, what have you? Um, and you could ask for that, or you could just send it back out eight months later. Um, uh, Tua said, hey, when writing a PPA, am I able to say that these specifications are open to change? I don't want to send the PPA and then be limited by what I've written in the PPA if the future changes are made. It really isn't going to matter. I've never had in the history of our company have had a student need to use the PPA to get some sort of protection where they didn't write it correctly. And then they licensed it maybe. And when you license, you'll file a full utility and reference the provisional, right? And oh, because I didn't do the provisional, it messed me up. And I got, I wish I did a better job with the provisional. Now we teach our students, we give our students software to write a provisional patent um, and they do a great job. And we want our students to do a great job, but it's so unlikely to mess you up. You know, what's a lot more likely to mess you up. And for those of you that attend this live stream, you heard me say this ad nauseum. What's more likely to mess you up is having a crappy sell sheet, having a sell sheet that they're not getting it in like six seconds, your marketing piece. Your virtual prototype. That is important. Your PPA is very unimportant. I'm saying that in an extreme way to emphasize the practicality and what you should think is important. But people get all obsessed about the PPA. So when you file a PPA to a um, you can include include the variations, you know, that are in there. And you're right. You don't want to say it's, and this isn't how patents are done, but it's just an example. You don't want to say it's a pink pencil with purple polka dots, exactly 2.5 millimeters in diameter. Well, if you make it 2.6, then they didn't violate your, you know, you don't do colors either, but you get the idea. So don't be so specific. You can be specific, but then you broaden it out. You could say it could be like this or this, but not limited to this method or not limited to this material or what have you. You can do those things. And by the way, I forgot the disclaimer. Anything I share with you today should not be considered legal advice, please consult your attorney. If you're looking for legal advice, this is just for educational purposes. There's my little disclaimer. Um, So you don't want to send the PPA and then be limited by what I've written in the PPA um, if future changes are made. So if future changes are made, you're going to file that same PPA and you're going to add those changes. You file a provisional two months ago, talk to a company. Oh, you know, they said this is a problem. Hmm. Well, I got a fix for that. Before you show it to them, file take that same PPA file it again, add the new stuff and you're protected from the new stuff from that date. You can do that. A lot of people are surprised by that. So that's a great tip, guys. So a lot of inventing is done after you reach out to the companies and you realize some changes need to be made. And that's a big problem. Um, we had one of our students who was very successful and he was he pitched them a certain product and they said, you know, this is what we're really looking for. And he was resistive to giving them what they're looking for because this is my product. It's like, they just gave you a great opportunity. This is what we're looking for. Well, give it to them. You know, Don't, don't, don't be flexible and willing to change the product to accommodate what the company wants, okay? And it might be them raising a problem, and then you come up with a solution. You're inventors. But sometimes inventors lose their creativity when they've been working on a project for a really long time. Um, be open to change and you will be a better and better and you'll be more likely to license stuff um, let's see low boy says hey Andrew any advice for someone attempting to negotiate their own licensing agreement without an attorney yeah don't use an attorney I'll explain what I mean there in a minute terms to ask for to watch out for examples of what might be in an agreement okay if i'm gonna i'm gonna explain to you how we work things to so give you some perspective um if every time one of our students got a little interest instead of sending them to our negotiation coach paul we said oh you've got interest call a licensing attorney makes sense right licensing attorneys they write at licensing contracts it made sense no really bad idea if every time we did that with one of our students eighty percent of the deals that Paul would help our students close, that licensing attorney would kill. Licensing attorneys are not in the right mindset. We do not let our students talk to licensing attorneys. We don't not let them. But we say, look, let us provide you common sense business advice. And then when a deal is like 95% done, do not sign a contract without a licensing attorney seeing it. But make sure that they, sorry, I got this. Let me this text came in and it distracted me. There we go. I'm on do not disturb now. But when our negotiation coach, Paul, guides a student through a licensing deal, we guide the student and then the student goes to the company and they'll agree on some things and disagree on other things and then let them and their attorney make the changes whenever possible. And then it goes back and forth and back and forth. Attorneys are notorious deal killers. So, Licensing attorneys, the more problems they create, they rack up billable hours. For anybody that's in the legal profession, you guys know about billable hours, right? And so the more they create problems, they fight about stupid things that you shouldn't fight about. They do not know how to talk about business deal points. They do not know how to move a licensing deal forward. They suck at it. They really do i'm not saying they're not but might not be a good couple things ones out there but they have this attitude like i'm going to fight for you and the inventor's like yes you're going to fight for me it's like no stupid 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 you want to work together they're your partner to create now i'm not going to say you're not going to have some debates in this negotiation but so if you are going to work hard on your own and you get a a lot of inventors have a hard time getting deals on the table on their own but then you call licensing attorney. There's a very, very high chance they will kill the deal. And you will think like, oh, God, that company was unreasonable. No, it was your licensing attorney that was unreasonable. Okay. Now, I'm not saying this is how all licensing attorneys are, but they look at it strictly from a legal standpoint. They're not analyzing all the business deal points. I mean, they kind of are because they're in the agreement, but they're not very good at it. So, I, so my low boy, um, what to watch out for? Watch out for a licensing attorney that's going to try to rack up a ton of billable hours and kill your freaking deal that you spent a ton of money and time to get on the table. Watch out for that. Now, when we have, when our negotiation coach gets a student, only when a is like 95% done, because there's no risk for the inventor if they don't sign anything yet, right? And the risk is an attorney killing the deal for you. When a deal gets 95% done and Paul, are our, our our negotiation coach will say look don't sign anything until you have a licensing attorney look at it now we tell them do not let that licensing attorney talk to your company that you're trying to license to the licensee you're the licensor is the inventor they're the licensee do not let them talk to them do not let them muck up the deal. they're there just to dot the i's and cross the t's most of the time our contracts are so far done they can do that within an hour or two and so because we're not attorneys so Paul has helped the students stuff the contract with all the important stuff. And the attorney, this is what they're good at. I was beating them up a minute ago. Well, you got to change this one word, change this one sentence. That's, we, we, tell, we tell our students, I was beating up licensing attorneys. Now I'm going to tell you where they're great. Do not sign a licensing agreement without an attorney dotting the I's and crossing the T's. But instead of 20 billable hours at God knows how much, it's an hour or two and that and do not let them talk to the company okay so low boy that's that's my biased viewpoint that's what i've seen be very very careful of that um and if you're going to do it on your own do it on your own do and if you have a licensing attorney and they're advising you first of all they're going to give you a lot of improper advice they're going to have you arguing over stupid things that are not important um and so have them behind the scenes at the very least do not let them talk to the company that's my advice um let's see nick said i i really went off on that one didn't i but you you guys get my perspective it's really i i like when you see our students licensing stuff all the time you would not see any of that very little of it if every time a student of ours got interest and we put them on with a licensing attorney instead of our negotiation coach paul who's very level-headed you know If that doesn't give you perspective, I don't know what does. And Steven and I believe that firmly. Um, But they're good. To dot the I's and cross the T's, fantastic. That's what they're there for. Um, Nick said, I've created a PPA and a prototype and need to connect with companies now. I know it needs to be in the construction industry. How does, how do I begin this process? So Nick, I would start, I would read our book, One Simple Idea, if you want to get started, if you go um, to our website, inventright.com, I put the link in there. You can find our book, One Simple Idea. You can also find it on Amazon. Um, And understand the basics of the process. you got a PPA and a prototype, but you're not ready to approach companies. You need a sell sheet that does the selling for you because most inventors aren't salespeople. and That's perfectly fine, you don't need to be. You just need to show them your sell sheet. And the sell sheet is not for them It's for their customer. You want them to see that advertising piece and go, oh, if our customers saw this, that buy gardening products, I think they'd be intrigued by this. That's what you want to do. Um, So your next step is a sell sheet. Your next step is to study the marketplace. Most inventors think they did it and they didn't. Look at all the other products in the space in the invention and don't say there's nothing like it because there always is something like it 101% of the time. It might offer a part of the benefit or the same benefit, but it's in a different way. So don't ever say there's nothing like it. And don't ever say you're going to make millions off it. Don't say those things to the companies. Um, I know your product is unique, but don't say there's nothing like it. So then you need to make your list of companies. And that's something that we could help you with as well. Um, so the the two main things, the three main things, if you file the PPA, a lot of people think, oh, I'm so far along. Well because i filed a ppa made a prototype not really you still need to make your list of companies still need to make a sell sheet and you need to know how to reach out to companies i could list a ton of other stuff you need to do your research to figure out did you really do your research because you might want to tweak something about your product based on some other product you saw out there and i talk to inventors all the time like i did my research and i'm like what's the product and they give me a verbal like because i've been doing this forever and i'm like oh it does this and this they're like yeah you get it nobody else gets it i'm like and in 30 seconds, I find I'm like, Well, there's this and this. You're like, what would what, you find? How'd you find that? And I'm like, I just did a search, it took me 10 seconds. And so, those are some next things, Nick, that you need to do research, sell sheet, list of the companies. Then you need to learn how to reach out to companies. I could list a bunch of other stuff, and that's great. You did your PPA and your prototype, that's fantastic. Hopefully, you didn't spend you didn't pay a patent attorney to do it because you can do PPAs on your own. Inventors can do that. I think a lot of people fall in this trap is they they start spending money and then they feel trapped in this particular invention, even if it's not working out. So, you know, spending money, throwing money at a prototyper, or a patent attorney gives inventors a false sense of moving forward. and It's truly a false sense of moving forward. And there's a bunch of stuff, particularly the product research, should have been done before both of those things. The second you come up with an idea, you should get on Google Images and study the micro category of your idea. So, if you had a, a doorstop, you sh- you need to go on Google Images and study every and Amazon too, every but Google Images especially. Don't just do Amazon. Every freaking doorstop out there. And maybe you even get into more of a micro category, magnetic doorstops or whatever, if you're magnetic. But most inventors don't do that. And that can take, it could take two, four, five hours to do really thorough research. You know, other products, sometimes it only takes an hour or two, but it's kind of fun. But the problem is you're so excited about your idea, you have anxiety about what you may find. But guess what? Those marketing managers that are gonna see your product, they know what's in that space because that's the space they're in. So you can't, be you know live your life with blinders on and go well i didn't find it so they won't you did a crappy job searching but they've been in the industry forever so do that before you do anything guys when you come up with an idea and and if you do it right when you come up with an idea you're not as in love with the idea so you're more realistic and flexible about changing but if you kind of don't do your research and you've been sorry i got allergies so my nose is itchy when you when you don't do your research and you've been thinking about it for a year you start to be like a little standoffish about doing the research, not as open-minded. You lose your creativity. So, man, I gave you a really thorough answer, Nick. Hopefully that was helpful. Um, I don't know this handle CM, LKM. When submitting some ideas, some companies ask if you submitted to other companies, if a good, is it a good idea to say yes or no to that question? This is what you say, guys. You say, yes, of course. I'm looking to license this and I'm shopping it around, but I would never say anything that you don't have, you could just say, leave it at that, that's better. But I would never, you could also expand on it if they force you to. You could say, I would never say anything that you said to me and any company that tells me, I'm not gonna tell you what they said, because that's confidential. That's the respectful thing to do. But you say, yes, of course I'm shopping around. You know, Um, Most companies, it's not common that companies say that. Here's the other thing. When inventors are new to reaching out, They'll experience like what one or two or three companies said, and then they'll quote it back to me like it's gospel, like it's this is how it is. And I'm like, wow, your sample size of experience is really small. Like we've had 22 years with students in 65 countries, each one reaching out to 20 or 30 companies, working on sometimes multiple inventions. I can tell you companies saying, have you shown it to anybody else is not normal. Now, I don't think you should be concerned about it. And if if you were the first one, if they're the first one, say, yeah, I'm shopping this around, but you're the first one I showed it to. Hey, if you you want first right of first refusal, get back to me within a week. Let me know if that's important to you. But yes, of course, I'm shopping it around. You need to be honest about that. Um, But don't pit companies against each other. Very amateur, very negative. Do not do that. It will not work to your favor. It will mess you up don't do that sometimes i talk to inventors they think they're so clever i got interest from two companies i'm like big deal like it's not uncommon for our students to call 30 companies get initial interest from five you move forward with everyone as if the other ones don't exist you do not kiss and tell you and they naturally fall off now great if you get interest from two companies but they immediately with some inventors their first thought is like oh i'm gonna pit them against each other stupid don't do that do not do that um Dan said, I work uh, full-time and I'm having trouble staying motivated to push myself forward. I like working with a partner, but I'm a sole proprietor. Okay, cool. Um, I was I was just talking to one of our students that was struggling a little bit with, because they had this really heavy workload. I think he said he was working about 60 to 75 hours a week. If he can do it, you can do it. Um, you do not need a ton of time to license products now it's more of a marathon than a sprint and inventors tend to like they get really excited one week i'm not talking about invent right students and then they just kind of neglect it they think about it but thinking about your invention is not working on it so if you have two to six hours a week i tell all our new students this you have enough time to work on your inventions but two to six hours every freaking week consistently. And before you know it, you're in front of companies. Okay. And so you might say, this is just a random thought. You might say, okay, Tuesday night and Thursday night, I'll spend two hours each. I won't watch a little less TV or no TV at all. And if I don't get my four hours in that week, I will freaking do it Sunday night because every week I'm going to get at least four hours in. If you have that attitude, that's an attitude for success. Now, If you don't know what to do with those two, four, six hours, you could just be spending four hours going in circles. And that's the great benefit of having a coach. They told you exactly what to do and you just got to do it and you got no more excuses. Well, I don't know what to do. So I talk to a lot of veterans where they spend that time every week, but it's just circles, just circles, same thoughts, thinking about it. And when you really grill them, I don't do that often. They're thinking about it. They're not really doing the work you know, and they're not really clear on the path they're walking down. How can you walk down a path and you don't know what the path is? You, don't, you know, there's branches in the path, you don't know which branches to take. So, um, you know, you're, you might have a problem staying motivated, Dan, because you don't have some accountability. At the beginning of the call, who was it here? Brandon was saying, I really needed that accountability. So sometimes we have, I see inventors, and they have partners, you know, sometimes that's just a mess. You know, uh, nobody's going to be excited about it as your product is you. So you get your neighbor involved. It's your best friend, you know, since kindergarten or something, let's say. And um, but they don't know what the hell they're doing. And so you guys meet and then you just talk and then nothing happens. Right. So you want a partner if you have a partner that has different skills than you. Ideally, they could be the same skills, but you motivate each other. But if you're both clueless, you'll both meet. You'll both talk and then you'll realize nothing's moving forward, you know. So you got one got to educate yourself on what path you need to walk down. And then you need accountability, whether that's with a family member. And, you know, it could be a family member that will hold you accountable and tell them, like, maybe it's just holding you accountable to spending that two hours. You tell your wife or your husband, look, every Tuesday and Thursday night from seven to nine, I'm going to work on my invention. Can you hold me accountable? They don't need to understand anything to do that. So that might be a good tip for you guys. But if you're just sitting there kind of wondering what to do going, well, Andrew or Steven said on that YouTube show, or I think I know, but I'm just... And when you have a coach that tells you like, for your product, this is the right thing to do, that's very empowering and then holds you accountable because you got another meeting the next week, you can email them in between. So I don't want to be giving a big sales pitch for our coaching, but some of you guys asked that question. It it makes a giant difference. It really, really does. So you got to ask yourself, Dan, why are you having a hard time keeping motivated? Maybe it's because you don't know what steps you need to take. Maybe you think you know the steps, but you're not quite sure. I think I heard them say on the YouTube show, this should be the next thing I do. I don't know how to go about that. Um, Maybe you do know the steps. In that case, find somebody just to hold you accountable to take the time every week to schedule it. You know, you work all week, you're tired, but there's a breaking point in which it's more painful not to do it and work on your project every week than to keep thinking about it. You're working, you're not really enjoying a job or you are, but you're like, God, I I just, it's been, I've been doing this for five years and I still haven't worked on the stupid invention, you know? So it's different for everybody. There's, there's some tips though. Um, My two cents says what kind of material could it be made out of what would work to keep the price down? Does the company deal with that? Okay. Um so he's saying uh, how do i know how to keep the price of the product down how do i know what material to make this out of um i think that's a valid thing to say and a lot of times you could have no experience you don't know the difference between abs plastic and the plastic on a milk jug well look at products that are kind of in that space and go oh that one's for 1995 and that one's 2495 and that's out of a Plastic, you know, that t- it's like it seems like a hard plastic. Okay. So when the company asks you, you go, Well, my product's kind of like that, kind of like this. And those are the prices. So you kind of, they're like, Oh, okay, we can make that. And then you're saying, But the difference is I put a hinge on the side or I did this or that. That is a very crude way of doing a little bit of manufacturing research. Say, Well, this is interesting, but I don't know if we can make it. Well, that company's making something that has like three quarters of the parts. And I'm just changing this. I think it's pretty doable. And they're like, oh, yeah, I think so. Thanks for that example. Because they don't, they're not going to, if you can put stuff like that in front of them, or they might look at it and go, yeah, we could do that. They just look at it and go, that yeah, that's doable. You know, and other products, it brings up question marks. So you don't need to have all this. You don't need to have any manufacturing experience. A lot of times that you can look at similar products and make assumptions. And yes, it's okay to tell that to the company that showed interest. What they showed interest in, is not the manufacturing of it, but the marketing piece. Oh, wow, that would be intriguing to our customers. Everything else after that, you can work with them on. You just wanna get a fish on the hook. So don't say, well, I don't know how everything is made here. See if you can get a fish on the hook. Now, if you say, well, my invention, I always give this silly example. My invention is a robot that's gonna jump up on a roof and shingle a house, and so people don't need to sweat you know, in the heat and you don't need to worry about workman's compensation, somebody falling off the roof. And then the company says, well, how do we do that? And you're like, I don't know, but it's a good idea. Just make a robot that does that. Okay, that's wacky inventor territory. Don't do that, okay? Don't do that. But by looking at similar products, you can make assumptions. And by sometimes talking to contract manufacturers, you can get a little bit of information too, but that's usually not necessary. So I'm just giving you guys some thoughts. And so when I'm speaking in generalities like this, I don't know your product. I, when, a, when a coach looks at it, they can say, oh, for your product, I go this direction. or I do that. Or, and the vast majority of the time, I'm like, the, the inventor is like, I, I have to make a prototype on this. I'm like, you totally 100% don't. You just need a virtual prototype and a sell sheet. That's obvious. That can be made easy. But then other times, I'm like, yeah, there's some things you need to kind of think about there. Why don't you look at these products or those products and see if you can make some assumptions so you have that ammunition ready to tell the company if they ask you. You know um but don't be the wacky inventor that's like you you should have a robot that shingles a house and and they're like well how do we do that and you're like i don't know i don't know anything about robots don't that's going too far okay so there's a there's a range um uh, let's see uh sam said how are the student results from the academy program I, I don't find as many of our students, uh, academy students that are in the group program, licensed products as the one-on-one coaching program. That's not exactly shocking. We did recently add three coaching calls to the group coaching. So it's like twice a week, you're meeting in a group. Um, you can't discuss the specifics of your invention because you're in a group. That would be public disclosure, right? But there's you do get three coaching calls and we did that just to catch inventors that were way off because they couldn't discuss the specifics of their invention the group coaching but you only get three calls during the entire thing so of course it it's logical that we would have less people licensing with the academy program than the premium one-on-one coaching program where you're talking to a coach every week talking to him on zoom on the phone and you can email him anytime and then our negotiation coach is waiting in the wings so yes yeah. you, i think People in that program are more likely to be successful. If you're a really good self-starter, though, and you're asking a lot of good questions on Academy, I think they, people can benefit tremendously from that. I think it's a great program. I'm, I'm happy and proud that we can offer um, coaching to people at a lower price because you do it in a group, it's lower price. You do one-on-one, obviously, you need to charge more. Um, so let's see what else we got here. Um, yeah, Jane said... Uh, Jane Doe is the name. Hello, thank you for helping everyone. You're welcome, Jane. Um, I don't think that's your real name. Maybe it is. Now, now I feel bad if it was. Um, uh, hi, hi, Mike. Thank you. Um, uh, Don D said, sorry, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it. Donady uh said, regarding lawyers, this is so true. Yeah, it is you need attorneys at the right time but the question is when do you need them and most of them are very poor business people they're not business people so they're not, you shouldn't be seeking business advice from them and a lot of a licensing negotiation is business advice on moving the deal forward um when you get interest there's a lot of things you do that have nothing to do with the contract to move the deal forward. god that's even worse like if you think when you get interest a licensing attorney is going to help you move the deal forward. There's like, can it be made? Can you make a real price? Tweak these features. A lot of things that our negotiation coach Paul does that a licensing attorney, my God, just shoot yourself in the head right now if you're asking them to do that for you to close a licensing deal. God, no. Um, but dotting the I's and crossing the T's at the end. And, and I'll say that we've had a few students where Paul has guided them very far, but it was with deals with very large companies, very large, and the contracts got more complicated. We'll bring them in a little sooner than 95% done in those cases. Not often, though, but definitely. They have their place, and there's some great licensing attorneys. We have two licensing attorneys that we send our students to, because, and most licensing attorneys would never do this because the deal's so far done, they're making next to no money off of the inventor because... Paul has helped the student get the our negotiation help helping get it so far. They don't most attorneys, they don't want to get an hour or two billable hours. They want to get 10 or 20 and create all these problems where there aren't. I remember I had this one student once that the deal was done. The contract was beautiful. And the student came back and they talked to me and they're like, oh, I talked to the lawyer and they said, you need to change this, this and this it was like five things, and I'm like, I have never seen any of those things ever be a problem in 22 years of doing Invent right. Don't must mess up the deal. That's bizarre stuff. Why is he saying that? Now, the attorney also said, you need to fix this sentence and this word. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. But he would have had them go back and argue these points and the deal was done. And so I've seen some really stupid things. And lately, Steve and I are really beating up patent attorneys a lot lately. Um, we've seen some patent attorneys, really take advantage of inventors and the inventor didn't know it. Or later they're like, I think something's wrong. Like inventors and they get taken advantage of by invention promotion companies. They're like later, they're like a year later, what, what happened? And they're like, I think I got taken. Um, but with patent attorneys, they're like, they don't even know they got taken. Like, and the people will tell me like this and this, and this happened. This is what they charged me. This is what the patent I'm like, uh. And, they just, and they, I'm telling them, look, this, this isn't right. you know. Um, so, But there are plenty of good patent attorneys. And there are plenty of good licensing attorneys. But with both of them, you need to know when to use them. And that's one thing that we really train our students on. Because if you're paying a patent attorney, a prototype, you're paying all these people money, it gives you a false sense of moving forward. I'm making progress. Great. And I can just go do my job. But then what happens is they get done with their job and then you're sitting there with your patent, your prototype, and you're like, what do I do? And you don't know. And you're like, and you're like, oh, and you felt so good before because these other people are working for you. But if you don't take charge of the process, you're just going to end up like tons of people that pay money for patents and prototypes and they go, here, and then like, I don't know. And then it just fizzles out the whole thing, you know? Um, let's see. Uh, Tanner said, what is the best way to find a qualified licensing agent? Do you recommend any? I don't know of any legitimate ones. I don't know of them, guys. These invention promotion companies, if you go to the Federal Trade Commission site, there's pages of of documentation of the Federal Trade Commission, the Patent Office, warning you against so-called invention agents. There's a never-ending list of invention promotion companies ready to take advantage of inventors and basically how a lot of them work is you give have a lump of coal. It doesn't matter what it is. They'll tell you it's great. Oh, that's great. It's great. It's great. We have all the context. We can do all the work and um, we'll do all the work for you. It sounds good. Like, well, I have this great idea. That's what this company does. And then they pretend to work on it for a year. I don't know if they're actually sending anything. Some of these companies, a fair amount of them, they won't even tell you. Well, we can't tell you we're reaching out to. Those relationships are confidential. And the contract will say, we just need to submit your idea to industry, which could mean them sending two spam emails over a period of a year, and they've met their contractual obligation to you. So again, and again, and again, it's like a freaking broken record. Sylvia and Dana that do sales for a company, with one of them or me talk to somebody every day or every other day at the very least by some inventor that's taken advantage of. It's always around ten dollars or $12,000. Some companies out there will try to get you for like three or four these days, sometimes too. But, and they go, you know, this happened to me years ago, 10 years ago, two years ago, just a year ago. But I realized you guys are the real deal. I realized I need to do the work now. They, they didn't give me the names of the companies they reached out to, or they did. But how could you prove anything? If they said they make a phone call, you could call the gatekeeper. They get hundreds of calls a day. How could they, how could you prove any of it? And if they just randomly spam a bunch of people with terrible marketing information, you know. So, um, uh, Tanner, if you're looking for a licensing agent, you're going to be in a world of hurt, man. You're just going to find an endless list of shysters ready to take advantage of you because there's an endless list of green inventors ready to be taken advantage of. So we're a whole different animal. We're saying you need to become empowered. You need to reach out to companies. That is 95% of inventing. The inventing part is about 5 or 10% of it. You need to learn the rest. If you don't want to learn the rest, just give up right now and move on because you're not going to find somebody to license a product for you. You can find companies to license too. Now, the real world that our students live in is a very positive world of inventors going direct, to the marketing managers, the companies that can license your product, and you know what's happening because you're freaking doing it. Not somebody promising you some sort of magic, we have all the context, it's a bunch of BS, okay? So... Invention, um, inventors associations, the Federal Trade Commission, the Patent Office have been warning against this for for decades, you know, for forever. But there's always new inventors that don't want to do the work. And I understand you might be like, oh, I had an idea. I don't want to get that involved. I want to do the work. That's fine. But don't get taken by an invention promotion company, okay? I had had one... um, I, I had one from a student. The student. This is different. This is a weird invention promotion company. They told the student they were doing a licensing deal, and the company wanted seven thousand dollars from the inventor. I'm like, uh, that's not a licensing deal. They're not going to ask you for money, you know. And and it's a weird breed. That's that's not how most invention promotion companies work. But this company was saying, here's a licensing deal, and you need to pay us seven thousand dollars. I'm like, what? That was bizarre. I, I, there's a couple companies that are doing that now, and I'm just like, really, You're just finding endless ways to scam inventors, and and the people that work in invention promotion companies, they are going to hell. If there's a hell, they're going to hell, and and um, that's just how I feel. That's my personal feeling. Um, so live in the real world. It's a very positive world. So. Uh, the world that our students live in, I have never had one of our students get knocked off by a company they presented to, a company that could license the product in 22 years. I've talked to inventors that got knocked off, I'm not saying it never happens, but when you conduct yourself professionally and you reach out directly, and it will happen one day to our students, but 22 years are a pretty damn good track record. And you know why? Because our students conduct themselves professionally and we show them how to do that because the coach is right on top of you. To make sure you're doing so because left to your own devices you'll do and say improper things now just because you do some improper things you don't close a licensing deal that's one thing but if you do some wacky inventor stuff um some companies will go wow like we already invented invested six thousand in this prototype and you're asking for a half a million dollars up front you know and they might d- decide to work around you so don't get into that territory okay um Biker, that's just part of their handle. I have a new product, very few options for the category. I bet it wouldn't be if I looked at it. Only ones would be direct competition. I'm not sure I trust the companies available. I don't see them getting very far with it. I, I, I You know, I can't answer it, uh, Biker. I can't say, I mean, without looking at your product, there's no way I could answer that. I talked to, this is what I can say which might be encouraging for you. Most inventors left their own devices when they try to make their list of companies, they come up with two or three and ones that I look at and I'm like, you easily have 20 or 30, sometimes if not 40, they're just not looking at it the right way. And without looking at your product, there's no way I can get into that. But hopefully that's not the case. Now, occasionally it might be the case. I'm like, oh, yeah, I see how this is kind of limited, but we still are able to find eight or 12 where they only saw a few. Also, when you're licensing, they're not your competition. They're your potential licensees. If they're making simple products, there's nobody that's your competition if you're licensing. So now, if they would be threatened by your product because it makes other products look bad, and all inventors think that it's not necessarily true. I'm like, oh, it'd fit in with their product line. Um, But they're not your competition. If you were selling it yourself, they'd be your competition, but quite often when you're licensing, those same people, they're your licensees, they're your friend. You try to license to them, and it's their money and workforce and distribution, and you license them, you get a royalty, okay? So I'm not so sure if you're just new to licensing without seeing your product, I can't say, and you know, nobody should be disclosing their product in a live stream. Cam, um, uh, um, CM, to clarify, I'm referring to some of the submission portals and the company websites where they ask if you submitted your idea to other companies as well. Well, any submission portal that asks you if you submitted to other companies as well, that's a, that's a red flag. I mean, so what? Are they so threatened that you showed it to somebody else? I think what you're talking about there, what I see, where I see that happen pretty often is like uh, DRTV, infomercial companies. Um, but portals are a waste of time anyway. So a lot of inventors, Steve and I have been talking a lot about this. If you think like, well, I'll just find companies where right there on their websites in a button. It says inventors and submit your ideas here. Like you're missing so many companies if you only look for those. And a lot of those, they have it there to be a nice convenient black hole. And because any company that doesn't accept ideas from the outside is archaic. They look, if they're not open in it to innovation, call open innovation companies, it makes them look archaic to their stockholders, if they have them and to everybody else. So it's is going to try to create an appearance that they're open, but they're really not that open yet. Now, other companies are really open. They create this portal, but they're not really paying that close attention to it. And you're much better off reaching out to LinkedIn or on the phone. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with submitting to a portal, but then also going to another mechanism, going uh, through LinkedIn or going on the phone or email. I don't have any problem with that. But don't be put off by whatever they ask on the portals, because... It's already kind of a red flag when they have a portal. Now, there's companies that are right on top of their portal. I don't think it's many. And that's fine. I don't think there's any risk for submitting through a portal. You have to read their submission terms, though. If their submission terms aren't acceptable. Now, on the Simple Human website, that's the company that makes those, I'll call them out, that makes those trash cans where you wave it over and it opens up. For a while there on their website, it said right there on the freaking website, we own whatever you send us. And I was still getting inventors like, do you think it's okay to submit, Andrew? I'm like, "Uh, no. It says, you know, they can't even say that really, but they're trying to tell you, we don't want your ideas. So portals are weird. Be a pro, don't use portals, guys. And if you're just looking for like, oh, but I sent to five companies through portals, I need a submission. I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's common because portals are not a good way to submit. So if they're asking you something like, who else did you submit to? then, you know, that it's, it's already kind of a red flag. Now I'm not saying you can't license that company. Like we had a company recently tell us like we've licensed tons of products, but we've literally never licensed anything submitted to us through the portal. Um, this same company, if you send to a marketing manager, it might be great. And they're like, well, this is great. And yeah, we want to license this. And so don't like count the company out because they have a portal. I just don't recommend, don't think you're going to get any response from it. You know, um, Hmm. Biker said, oh, it's a cannabis manufacturing tool. Should I just pitch the industry brands and hope someone wants to try something different? Um, Cannabis manufacturing tool. Okay. So there's, that's a huge market, dude. There's like, so let's say, let's just, wait, we don't know what your product is. So let's say it's for growers. We've been helping people with cannabis-related products when it was just medical back in the day. So we've been help. We help people with all sorts of stuff as long as it's not something that's illegal. We're fine with it. We don't judge. Um, If a coach happens to be uncomfortable with it, like it was just, it's 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 hilarious. One of our coaches, most of our coaches are full-time coaches, but we have a few part-time coaches, and one of them is a a cop full-time, and he's a part-time coach with us. And a student presented something to him that was illegal. It was. Uh, it was. I can't say what it was, but it was illegal. It was just straight up illegal. He's like, oh, I can't help you with this, but that's like one in a history. Like we've had people work on sex toys, people work on all sorts of stuff, and I don't think we're here to judge. But if it's going to, um, people work on weapons too and stuff like that. You know, um, I think you know some people might have mixed feelings if it's like uh, military or whatever. But but um, but we help people with all sorts of stuff. So I don't I don't know how I got off on that track. Oh, so anyway, so it's just cannabis. So we've been helping people with cannabis-related products for a long time. Um, so if it's the growers and they're growing, you know, there's a ton that's like hydroponics. Let's say it's the hydroponics. Well, that might be able to sold for cannabis or for other hydroponic reasons, hydroponically water, you know, and so you might have a lot more potential licensees than you think. Um, so uh yeah. Uh, Let's see, Ron says, what if my prototype uses parts that may be patented? Does the company handle this during licensing or do I? I I don't, I've never really had that be a problem, guys. Like if you're you're saying, look, you got this, let's just say if the product, if the part is in five companies' products, okay? That particular part, one of the parts, it's very unlikely that any one of those companies is a patent in your company you license who can use that same part, just the same. Like some people are like, just give you a crude, really crude example. People are like, well, Andrew, I don't know. I, I, I think I need to get permission from Velcro because there's Velcro on the product. I'm like, no, first of all, there's generic hook and loop fastener. It's the same as Velcro and the company just buy the Velcro and put it on there. But if you, the problem, one it becomes a problem is company looks, an inventor looks at a particular product and they change it, and they go, well, I'm just gonna take this product and change it, and they've patented a piece of it, and you're patenting on top of what they're doing. That can be a problem, but a lot of times, literally nine and a half times out of 10, we can get right around that. It's very uncommon that I find that that is a problem. So, um, yeah, so, you know, get interest in the product. But if you're like presenting them this product, that only this one company sells and you just changed it a little and they've got this rock solid patent could that be a problem yeah of course it could you know but if there's just parts of it it's probably not so you need to look into it and use common sense but i, I think that that's a question that i get fairly often um uh krishna says uh would you help be able to help me in a few in a few medical patents that I have developed, I mean drugs and devices. We've had, we just had a student that licensed um, a a medical product, and I, I'm going to say a disclaimer here. Well, I'm not going to say that I'm not going to say the dollar amount, but it's insane money. Um, medical products are harder to license, but, and the companies will beat you up about patents, intellectual property, but if you can close them as it's freaking huge. And we just found out uh, about it last week and it was a medical product. Um, and then we had just, I just talked to actually the company and the inventor that licensed a medical type product. It wasn't like full on medical, medical, um, it was more for babies and, um, and that too. So yeah, we can definitely help with medical products. Uh, realize they're a little harder, but when you do the deals, they're much bigger deals. So, And they're, they're more picky about patents. But the, the deal, and I was going to say the dollar amount, but I don't want to say it because it's so big that I, I don't want to preach the get rich quick, make a million dollars thing, but it's definitely up there. Um, definitely way more than a million. Um, and also in upfront money, which is unusual. Um, so I don't want to be setting the stage that you guys think that that kind of upfront money is normal, so that's why I'm not saying it. Um, uh, Jane said, I almost finished reading One Simple Idea. It's so full of helpful information. I'll be signing up with your company as soon as I'm done. Great. That's great, Jane. Um, so yeah, go if you go to inventright.com and you click on Contact Us, book a call with Sylvia or Dana. They'll Depending on what time you book, will be one of them. They'll explain the program. They're really chill. They won't be putting any pressure on you or anything, and so you're just kind of prepared for when you're ready. And um, so I'd go ahead and book with them now. You don't have to be ready to sign up yet, so they can explain the details to you. Um, looks like we've gone over, but maybe I can still. Wow, I'll I, be the first time where um, I can answer all the all the questions. Um, Michael says, device prevents animal fights and attacks, problems, whether from dogs, lions, tigers, or bears. Um, uh, sanctuary will need one. Okay. So Michael, did you ask, Michael, did we do, but I don't remember seeing, I don't know if all the questions are coming through, Michael, because I don't see that you asked, asked another question before. So that's great that you got that product, but I don't know what the question is. Um, that's fantastic. Sounds like there's a lot of applications. If it's for tigers and bears, it's pretty different than dogs. So a company that sells at Petco or PetSmart, um, they're probably not going to be have distribution channels for bears and tigers. That's probably a different distribution channel. So you might hold that back and do a separate license there. Um, but uh, that's my only comment. But I don't know what your question is. Um, it's called Rattlesnake. OK. okay. All right. Um, Xavier says, I filed a PPA years ago, but never did anything with it. But I also never showed the prototype publicly. Can I refile somehow? Absolutely. You didn't make public disclosure, Xavier. You can absolutely file it. You can absolutely work on that, guys. Absolutely. People, some of these patenters give people this impression without giving all the info. If you didn't make a public disclosure and you, you, you worked on an invention, the PPA ran out, you didn't get screwed, you can file that provisional again, you get a provisional from the new date, you know, and it's fairly unlikely somebody else came up within that time and go for it. Um, TP can you license with hair accessories? Absolutely we it's very it's a great category. We just have one of our students do a deal with a very large company Conair um, very large company. you know Conair if you know hair accessories so absolutely. Um, all right. Cool. So um, if you guys could do me a solid, um, if you could uh, subscribe down below, if you're not subscribed, we're going to try to get to 80,000 subscribers. My goal is in like six to eight months where I don't know where we're at now. I even look like 56, 57. I don't like to look that stuff daily. That's the way you could say thank you for me answering your questions um, during an entire hour. Also watch more of our videos and give us a thumbs up on videos. But if you could subscribe, if you're not, please do that. Just click it. It's right there and click the notification button. And you'll notify too when I go live, um, which is every Monday at four o'clock Pacific, seven Eastern, adjust for your time zone. I feel like I'm on TV. But I remind everybody to take care and keep inventing. And we'll catch up with you guys next time. See you guys. Bye.